All right. Good morning, everyone. I am not Micah. My name is Lee. If you haven't met me yet, I'm the pastoral apprentice here at Entwistle Community Church, and I have the privilege of preaching for uh, you all today. So thank you for that opportunity. Um, we're going to be looking uh, at uh, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17 to 19 today. Uh, and to start though, uh, just before we get going, I want to warn you that within this sermon, I'll be touching on some pretty sensitive topics, such as suicidal thoughts and a somewhat a rough loss of close family. So if you feel any discomfort with those things, feel, please feel free to step to the back. Uh, but to begin, I wanted to yeah, share an important step uh, in my past with you. Uh, so if we rewind the clock to about seven years ago, I was living a very different lifestyle than I do now. I was pretty heavily steeped in sin. I had grown up in a Christian household, but at that time, I don't think I could really call myself a Christian. See, this was evident because of my sinful actions and how vacant and really disrespectful my relationship with God was. See, my mental health was about at its worst. In fact, this night was quite a pivotal one for me because I was deciding whether to take my own life or not. See, I loved sin. I craved it. I envied those who got to indulge in it more fully than I did. And it was most of what occupied my thoughts. I'd gotten to a point, though, where I had indulged in more and more sin and the payout was less and less enjoyable. It was more and more fleeting and frivolous. I wanted to sin more and more and knew there was no lasting payout. And so I realized that if I continued on this journey, there was eventually not much point to keep going. That's what my uh, mental state had brought me to. I was in a state where I was envious of sinners. I had little respect for God and I didn't have any hope for the future. And so I did something that was very out of the ordinary for myself. I grabbed my Bible and I did something even more, less ordinary for myself at that time. At that time, I barely prayed to God, but I said in desperation, I got on my knees and I said, God, if there is something that you could give me to cling to, something to show me that you're real, please give it to me. And I opened my Bible just to a random page. And this was the verse in front of me. It says, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Listen, my son, and be wise, and keep your heart on the right path. I stood up and I thought, what an answer. What an answer from God for a person who's been pushed to the brink to be told there's a future hope that will not be cut off, to address my problems of envy, of sin, of not knowing what was next. Trust in me. That's what the text said. 
And so today I wanted to dive into this text with you because it is something that has been an anchor point in my life. And I believe that the conviction from it is not just for me, but it's something that I can share with you all as a congregation. So I want to just contemplate this for a second because that mentality that I had is not just me. It wasn't just me. In fact, I think that there's a very good chance that a few of you in this room, maybe all of us have a hint of that in our lives. See how many of us see what sinners do, see how much easier it is to be a sinner and want that side of life. How much of us bend our morals because we lust after what the world tries to convince us is good. How many of us look at the, those who are imprisoned by sin and want to jump in the cell with them because of the temporary smiles we see behind the bars? How many of us envy the unsaved? See, envy and lust grow our want for sin immensely. And for many of us, eventually, we let the sin become bigger than our respect for God. We can minimize God, putting him in a box when we want to. We fall sometimes briefly and sometimes permanently. Sometimes in that fall, we decide to cut off our relationship with God. So how do we avoid this? How do we keep away from falling away from Christ when sin hits us hard, when we're deep in the pits and things are rough? What do we do? The main point of those verses I just read, Proverbs 23, 17 to 19, tell us that the remedy for envying sinners is to look up and to look ahead. Let's dive into what that means. In Proverbs 23, chapter 17, it shows us why we need to look up to God. See, Proverbs is an Old Testament wisdom book. It was Uh, And its purpose at the time was to give us practical advice to people from all walks of life. It was written by King Solomon, a man who was bestowed incredible wisdom by God. And so it's fitting that a person reads Proverbs to gain wisdom. But this book, right at the beginning and end, makes it clear where it's found. So when you enter the book in chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And if you flip over to 31, verse 30, it says, A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This book's main point that it is framed by is that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Well, the Bible has so much to say on that, that, but just a few highlights. In Isaiah 40, 28, it says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. 
In Isaiah 55, 8, 9, it says, For my thoughts are not yet your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In Psalm 147, 5, it says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. In Psalm 8, 3 to 4, it says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Deuteronomy 10, 17, it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty and awesome who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. So what is the fear of the Lord? It is having deep reverence and respect for our God. It is putting God in his proper place and putting ourselves in ours. Rather than disrespectfully minimizing God, you reverently maximize him. And how important is this to do? How intent should we be on fearing the Lord? Let's come back to our text in verse 17. It says, be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Let's think about what zeal means, right? It's a, if you don't know, it's a deep, passionate, emotional, earnest fervor for something. There's an account of Jesus clearing the temple courts in John chapter 2, verse 13 to 17, in which we see Jesus walk into the temple during the preparation of the sacred Passover festival. Inside, he finds not just worship, but a people buying and selling animals. And in the midst of that, dishonest exchanges. In a time that was meant to be glory, giving glory to God, there was dishonesty, a dishonesty and human sin running rampant. And Jesus is infuriated to find this mockery of God's house, of this sacred sacrificial take, system taking place. And he makes a whip out of cord, and he goes forth scattering coins of, coins of money changers and overturning their tables, and he roars at them, Get out of here! Stop turning my father's house into a market! It says in verse 17 that the disciples later remembered that it was written, the zeal for your house will consume me. Can you see Jesus' expression of zeal? This was an act that solidified the Pharisees' decision that they wanted to kill him. But he could not hold back his zeal for God's house. See, we are asked to be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Zeal means we don't fear the consequences of the world wants to dish out in the pursuit of reverence for God. When trouble comes, we look up to God. Another example that we just read about during Christmas in Isaiah 9, 6-7, it reads, For to us a child is born, and a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the greatest of his command uh, of his government and peace there will be no end he will reign on david's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever and the final line of this that often is left out during christmas in this story says this the zeal of the lord will accomplish this the birth of Jesus, the arrival of God incarnate, the death of Christ, the eventual fulfillment of his kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth, all of these things take place because of God's great love for us. We can see expressed the zeal for the Lord in restoring a relationship with us. Since this is the case, we need to do as Proverbs 23.17 says, and zealously seek to be in right relationship with God. We are asked to seek the fear of God with this same energy, intensity, and determination, we must seek God with zeal, guys. Zeal for God is the opposite of envy of sinners. You want freedom from that envy of sin, that desperate want for sin. You look up to God. You zealously fear the Lord. We remember who's in charge. We stop pretending like we are. So, let's move into Proverbs 23, verse 18. Because this showed us, us that not only do we need to look up, we also need to look forward. See, verse 18 says, There is surely a future hope for you, and that hope will not be cut off. See, we talked earlier about how sin is temporary. In fact, in Hebrews 11, 24 to 26, it says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses had a choice between living a sinful Egyptian life with God's people and he chose God. But take, take a note of the contrast. He wanted to honor God by being among his people and didn't focus on the, quote, fleeting pleasures of sin. He instead saw that God was, quote, of greater value because he was looking ahead to his reward. Sin is fleeting and temporary, but God's rewards are long-term. We get to see them in part here on earth, but in Proverbs 27, it says, we need, it says we need to look forward to the future hope, which is our eternal reward in heaven. When we are faced 
with the temporary temptations of sin, wanting what the world has, we need to stop and think long term. We need to step away from what's only temporary, sinful pleasure and look forward to the good, eternal, everlasting reward. And I want to include you guys in this. I want to ponder this reward with you. How, how, do we, how often do we imagine heaven? What might it include? I'd like you guys, you can just shout it out. What might heaven include? No tears. Absolutely. Health. Perfect health. No, no, no more deterioration, right? No pain. Finally, freedom from the, the painful sin of this world and like, what comes along with it. Peace. Being able to see God, right? Having God in our midst. Heaven is huge, guys. Let's think a little bit more. What was that? Yeah, absolutely, right? Continuous praise, absolutely. We get to praise God forever and ever. We get to be in a place of peace forever and ever. We get to be in a place where we are fulfilled forever and ever. We get to be in a place without pain forever and ever. We get to be in a place where we get to go and see those who have passed on to heaven and be in unity with them again forever and ever. We can look at lives now and how temporary some of those things are, how temporary, and remember, temporary the pain is, and how everlasting God's reward is. So I want to share with you that for me, I have a conviction as well of why I want to be in heaven. I absolutely want to see God, but... Many of you know that me and my wife have two little children. They sure make a lot of noise. <laughs> and we love them both so much. But the, the reality is there should have been a third, though. A little one just didn't make it out of the womb alive. I'll be honest with you. When I think of heaven, I think a lot of her. I'm sorry it's a gruesome picture, but all I ever saw of her was my wife staring horrified at a tissue with pieces on it. And we were wondering what we should do with it, if we should bury it. What's the right thing? And now a few days after this, I prayed to God. I was like, God, please just put a picture of my head, of our child whole. And I got this lovely picture of a little girl holding the hand of our Heavenly Father dancing around and playing and enjoying. And I will tell you that one of the reasons that I want to make sure I get up to heaven is so I can go up there and join in the fun. I can pick her up and swing her around and dance and play. I absolutely look forward to that. And I get to do that alongside God. God who has now been the perfect father to my child for years before I even get there. We need to look forward to that everlasting, eternal reward, guys. 
Think of the good that's there. Think of the joy that's there. When, it, when sin that is fleeting bites at you, think of that eternal reward. Cling to it with desperation. Cling to it with zeal. Remember how big our God is. If you're not in a relationship with God now, or you're thinking about it, just know that this God that is incredibly massive wants to be in relationship with you. In his zeal for you, he sent his son to die on a cross for you out of his zealous love for you. And he asked, please, find safety from sin and zealously seek me. Look at the eternal reward. All right? So let's wrap this all together. In Proverbs 23, 17 to 18, it shows us that when we start to envy the sin of this world, we need to look up with zealous reverence for our God and look ahead in joyous anticipation of our future hope. The envy for envying the sin of this world is to look up to God and look ahead to eternity. Because we're all desperate for heaven, for freedom, to not have to struggle with faith, for the battle to be over, for peace to come. Let's focus on a goal together. Imagine what would happen if this church fully embraced that, this reality and the effect it would have on the community around us. I believe honestly that we are part, I think we are partially taking this on, but if we continue this pursuit, it'll have such a positive effect because we are showing Christ that is so incredible and spreading that around us. Let's fix it in our minds to try to do that just a little bit more this coming week. All right, let's pray together in closer time. Lord, Lord God, you are incredible. You are massive. You are awesome, Lord. You are so, so worthy of glory. And Lord, we look forward to being able to praise you in heaven forever. We look forward to a new heaven and a new earth, Lord. You making all things new. Thank you, Lord. That's a promise. And you showed us the depth of that promise in the entirety of the books of the Bible, but the pinnacle of which was your son's death on a cross for us. Lord, I pray that all of us here can feel that pull on our hearts to step in obedience from you, knowing that obedience is freedom. It's keeping us away from the cage of sin, God. God, you're incredible. And I just pray that we all, everyone here, that we may, when we pass on, Lord, be able to praise you in eternity together. Thank you, God. And Lord, I just want to pray for those who are dealing with health and, sin, and, and, and having trouble trusting in you with the sin in their lives, Lord. I want to pray that they can just focus on you and have peace with you and find joy with you, God. And Lord, I just want to pray for those 
yeah, who are feeling that, that they're in that pit now, Lord, I pray, let them find you. Let this be, let them see the sermon as a chance of you reaching out your hand to them. And I pray they grasp it, Lord. Please, Lord, let us focus on you. Amen.